Then you will truly be successful. Turn the page. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. Gotta work together. Oh. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. To those who love God. He has a word on your lips. To those who are called. Meditate on your According to be his purpose, to purpose. It's his purpose, Ooh. not mine. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. Gotta work together. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. To those who love God. To those who are called According to his purpose Purpose It's his purpose Not we are now in the book of Job. Job, the first chapter and the first verse reads this way. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Job had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly 
A mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And that ends our reading for today. Wasn't that good? Man. Day 24 of our 90-day challenge. So what does Job teach us about purpose? Here it is. Sometimes purpose is not about your skill. Sometimes purpose is about your story. You'd be surprised by how many people are remembered not by what they did for a living, but what they lived to tell. And I want you to think about Job's story as a parable for overcoming. I want you to think about Job's life as a litmus test for helping those with questions to God that don't make sense receive some level of he gets me. Your story will change the world, even if you did not graduate from high school. I do not want you to walk away from this experience thinking I've got to do more. I want you to walk away from this saying I've got to be. Because we are not here in earth, on earth, just to do something. We are here to mean something. So what does your story do for those who don't know your scholarship or skill. Job's story blows up this idea that everything that happens to you happens to you because of something you did wrong. Maybe you are where you are so that other people can feel like because you're there, they're not alone. And that too is purpose. So I want you to think a little bit more about your purpose story. If you could write a children's book that started once upon a time to encourage young children to believe that they can and then share it with the next generation. What if God is waiting on you to fully walk in purpose by sharing the part of your story that you don't want to share? Today, I want you to hear some of the stories that have literally changed my life over the last few years. Stories that I remember and rehearse, stories that I share with others, and stories that walk in purpose by themselves. I wanna do something totally different today. I want you to post a little of your story. Take three minutes, maybe five minutes, and post on our social media Facebook page a part of your story that God can use for his glory, to inspire, to encourage, to share, and to give hope to that person who feels hopeless. Share it on Facebook, post it on social media, email it if you don't have a social media page. But whatever you do, get that story out there. Welcome to my hall of stories. Let's get to work. Hey everybody, I'm excited about this one. This one might make you shout a little bit. John 9:25 says this. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, I once was blind, but now I see. 
I love John 9 for so many reasons. I wrote a book about it called Blind Spots, but the reason I want to pull it out of our Bible chapter and verse today is because I want you to hear me loud, hear me clear. Don't let anybody erase your testimony. June 22nd, I had a stroke and two days later, I had fully recovered. 19 days in the hospital, I am sitting here before you letting you know if he did it for me, he can do it for you. And no matter what people say about the church, no matter what people say about people, I know that there is a man named Jesus that is able to still do miraculous works. I know that God is able to do just what he said he would do. I know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and nobody can take away what you know. It's one thing to hear about what happened to other people. It's another thing to see what God did for you. So like the blind man, I want to encourage you not to be shifted by the Pharisaic criticizers and not to be drifted by the disciples questions. You stand flat footed in who God has made you to be and declare these words. I once was blind but now I see. Today, walk in your testimony and don't let anybody rob you from your joy. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Talk as loud as you can. Get loud in here with this man. I love you. There you go. We're here. We're all here. I told my mom, mom is what I want to do. My mom said, you know what? Kevin, she said, I'm not a dream killer. Her exact words, I'm not a dream killer. Mm -hmm. You're telling me that this is what you want to do? I'm going to let you do it. She said, you got a year. You got one year to prove to me that this is what you want to do and that you can support yourself. Wow. This is a crazy story. So like six months going by, it's at a point where, you know, I'm not really making money, but I'm loving it. I'm loving stand-up comedy. I'm making great relationships with comedians, comedy clubs. I haven't paid my rent in like a month. I'm like, mom you know, the rent, where's the rent at? She's like, are you reading your Bible? I said, mom, come on, I don't have time to talk about that right now, mom. I'm late, like, I need the rent money. Are you reading your Bible? Mom, no, when you read your Bible, then we'll talk about rent. Another week, two weeks go by. Mom, they're gonna evict me if you don't give me this rent money, mom, I'm serious. Have you read your Bible? Yes, okay, well, then let's talk about rent. Mom, it's out. I don't want to talk about the scriptures. I need the, I need the money. A month go by. I get eviction notice on my door. They're about to kick me out. I'm like, mom, I go to her house. I got the eviction notice. She said, talk to me when you read your Bible. I, I can't talk to you right now. I just leave. <laughs> I go home. I said, man, let me open this Bible up. Open the Bible up. Six rent checks fall out. She put all my rent checks. Oh my goodness. She put all my rent checks from that six months throughout the rest of the year. They were all there. Oh, I opened it up. My I felt goodness. like the biggest jerk ever. I sat there, and that was the first time I tried to read from the Bible. I read about two chapters, and I said, Mom, I'm sorry. I said, I just opened up the Bible. That is a beautiful story. That she, is a She said, I asked you to read it because you need to stay faithful along your journey. I said, okay. I said, I get it. I'm, Mom, I will. Hi, I'm Dr. Bertice Perry, and I want to tell you a story. Over the past several days, I've been on um, a short holiday. I needed one. I was tired. I hadn't had one. 
hadn't had a break in a couple of years and I was pretty run down, not from doing this. I do this, it gives me energy, but um, just from working and working and working and working. I've been working since I was 12. But I decided to continue recording these because depression doesn't take a holiday. Sadness doesn't take a holiday. The turmoil is certainly not taking a holiday and dissension doesn't look for a rest. In fact, at times like this, people seem to find ways to divide and nitpick a little bit more. So I decided to do this because I love your messages that say to me, this helps. It helps to hear your voice in times of chaos. And it helps me to hear you say that. It really does. Also, I enjoy telling stories. So the story that I want to tell you is this. I've read the end of the book. We're going to be okay. There's some things we'll have to go through before we get there. But we have each other. And if you look to those in your household and to your family and to your friends and to your community and you begin to shine love on them and on the situations that you're going through and you reach out we get there sooner we get there with more of us we get there intact there is a tendency right now to find ways to be right Love is always right. Look at this guy. Yesterday, I rode that bike. Pretty hard to do with MS. I can't even control my limbs when I'm walking. I didn't ride far. I rode just a little ways. And then my legs started to spaz and spasticity set in and I couldn't move it anymore. I leaned over and dropped the bike and Fatima was standing there watching. She said, Mom, that's amazing. You did amazing. And you know what's even more amazing? You didn't fall. I didn't ride the distance that I wanted to, but I didn't fall. And I said, baby, I'm getting good at not falling. I've fallen enough. I'm getting good at not falling. You may not get to where you want to get to today. You may not be able to go to where you want to go today. You may not be able to have all that you want to have or do or see all you want to do and see. But by the end of the day, see what you've been able to do, what you've been able to avoid. I didn't fall. I'm gonna get on a bike. I'm gonna ride it. Or maybe I'll just walk. Either way, I'm gonna get there. And you will too.
I love you. My brother and I live with my aunt and uncle because my father was a gambler and my stepmom couldn't take care of us, so we were sent to live with my uncle and my aunt for a few weeks. Three years later, when I was nine, my uncle, who was a functional alcoholic, raped me. I loved it when he got drunk. You know why? Because I could go in his pants pocket and steal money. So I had taken money out of his pocket, 50 whole cents. And I went to the store and bought all my stuff. And when I came back, he called me from the basement and told me to come downstairs. And immediately I was guilty because I had stolen his money. So I thought that he had found out. He looked at me and he said, you know, you are so pretty. And this was my uncle who I wanted to please, who paid me my allowance. So now not only is he paying attention to me, He's telling me things that I'd never heard before. Oh, I'm pretty? Really? Because a little child who doesn't have the stability of a family in a home, when there's something going on at home, it makes the child vulnerable to danger. So he raped me. And I told immediately. And he said I was lying. And nothing else was done about it. The rape was one thing. But people not hearing me and ignoring my voice and teaching me how to live in that house with the man who raped me, acting like it was okay. I walked around with that brick for 40 years until one day I realized that my uncle didn't only rape me because I was a female. He raped me because it was a power issue. He raped me because it was the only way he could show me love. I was an abandoned child living in his home and I was crying out for love. I believe that most of you were crying out for love. My grandmother, my father's mother raised me. She was an amazing woman. She told me, sister, when you get, give. When you learn, teach. These are lessons to live by. I thought for a long time that my grandmother was God. She was so tall. And she used to tell me, sister, mama don't know what she's going to do. Mama just going to step out on the word. Just step out on the word of God. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. People call me stupid, dumb. Uh, a moron, an idiot, because I didn't speak for six years. I was a mute. And Mama used to tell me when she'd braid my hair, my hair was huge and very curly. My Mama would say, Sister, Mama don't care what these people say, but you must be an idiot, you must be a moron, because you can't talk. Sister, Mama don't care. Mama know when you and the good Lord get ready. You're going to be a teacher. Sister, you're going to teach all over this world. I used to sit there and think, this poor ignorant woman, doesn't she know I will never speak? I've taught at the Bema Theater in Israel, in Tel Aviv. I've taught in Egypt. 
had been distinguished visiting professor at the University of Exeter in England. I've taught in Rome and all over the United States. And each time I have another honor, I think of my grandma. Mm. So, I am grateful to be, have been loved and to be loved now and to be able to love because that liberates. Love liberates. It doesn't just hold. That's ego. Love liberates. How long was it in your life that you served as a, just purely as an adjutant without any understanding that you were related to him? Oh my goodness. Well, that, that's, <laughs> it's, it's a loaded answer because I served him all the way until I got my first, my first assignment. So I found out he was my father at 12. Okay, so um, I wasn't Let's really Let's stop right there because a lot of people uh, just gasp. <laughs> Okay. You served a pastor as an adjutant, and at 12 years old, you found out that your pastor was your father. Yes, sir. How did you find out? Well, um, there was an event at school, um, and it was a father-son event called Dads and Donuts. And um, went to the event and saw all of the dads there. Mm -hmm. And just decided to go home and ask my mother one day, who is my father? And I went home and I asked her, and she looked at me and she paused. And I know her, I know mm -hmm. my mama. Mm -hmm. I know her, I know her, I can see her sitting here and she's a hundred miles away, but I know her. And I knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And after what seemed to be an hour, which was probably 10 seconds, mm -hmm. she says, Dr. Brooks is your father. All of my siblings are in the room at the time. They say nothing. I ran out of the room screaming because for every year that I could remember, I used to pray and wish he was my father because he was this quintessential example of what a father should be. I saw him taking care of his other children. I saw him building a ministry. I saw him amassing wealth. I saw him building apartments for the less fortunate community development corporations. He was a multi-site church in the eighties. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, so wow. I saw this growing up and the moment I found out honor became hatred. Um, Why? Because I couldn't figure out how he could tell everybody every Sunday what they needed to do with their families. And I witnessed him not do any of that for me. And I got angry. And so I asked her, could I confront him? And she said, yes. I went to church. Um, he um, used to shake hands down at the bottom of the pulpit, the old Baptist church. Mm -hmm. And I went down there and got in line and waited on my turn to shake the pastor's hand. And I asked him, I said, can I ask you a question when nobody's around? He said, sure. 
as I was his little guy. I mean, he, I could see now that he had preferential treatment for me, but mm -hmm. I didn't know what all of that was. Mm -hmm. And so we went out into the fellowship hall and I looked him in his eyes like I'm looking at you and I said, are you my father? He said, yes. I said, when were you gonna tell me? He said, eventually. I didn't know what eventually meant. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that meant. And so I said, do you mind if we set up an opportunity to speak? He said, yes, that was on a Sunday. He decided Wednesday would be good. He had a Jeep Cherokee, I never will forget. Um, he picked me up from my house, 204 West 15th Avenue, picked me up from my mother's apartment, put me in the car. We started driving down the street and I had a list of 12 questions. And I asked him the first question. Um, the first question was- Before you tell me what yes. the first question was, how does it feel riding in the car, anticipating a conversation that is so important to you and totally uncertain of what the answer might be. What, what, what were you feeling? I was nervous, uh, very tactful to ensure that I would present myself as a son that you could be proud of. Mm -hmm. um, making sure that I made no mistakes so that way when this conversation is over, you would grab me and you would take me back to that church and that you would tell everybody, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right. I anticipated. You had a vision I of how it was going to go. I did. It didn't go that way. Uh, he died in January of last year and it still never happened. He never acknowledged you? No. When you Tell me what the first question was. Um, am I as good as your other sons? Wow. Hello there. Y'all all right? Yes? No, it's okay. It's all right. Um, this morning, it was put on my heart heavy to encourage people to be intentional about their happiness today, right? To focus on the positive because there's so many other things that we can focus on that would take us away from our intention of being happy, okay? Uh, a lot of people always say to me, Taya, you can't be happy all the time. Girl, you smiling all the time, that, that's so fake. And it's unfortunate that that is the mind state of people, right? But I wanna share with you reasons why I choose happiness and reasons why I choose to smile, okay? Uh, first and foremost, when you have been in a very dark place, as I once was, I made a promise to myself and to God that, ooh, if I get out of this space, if I am able to come out of this darkness, I will always choose light, right? When I can make a choice for myself again, I'm gonna choose light. I'm gonna choose to smile, right? That doesn't mean I don't have bad days, I do, right? I have tough days. I have days where I'm tired, I have days where I'm sad, but I still have a choice. And I make that choice. I make the choice to focus on something positive, to focus on even in my worst moments to remember that, ooh, this is temporary. It will pass, right? Um, that's the reason I smile and choose happiness. Another reason I choose to smile is because my mother, as you know, who died of ALS at 51 years old, I watched my mother be one of the most vibrant, happy women every day. She loved to smile all the time. She, she was a smile. She was pure sunshine. 
And with ALS, in her last few months of her life, she lost her ability to smile. Your face, right? To smile, you need muscles. And with ALS, your muscles, eventually all over your body, pretty much go to sleep. And they no longer get a connection from your brain to tell them what to do anymore. So as much as she wanted to smile, she could not. And she lost that ability. And so because I can, I do. Because I'm able, I smile. It is a gift to be able to smile. And I don't take it for granted. That is why I smile. Right? And also because I also have joy. Unspeakable joy. And the world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. Understand that? So, the next time you see somebody smiling and they do it often, don't assume they're fake because they have joy and because they have made a choice to be happy, to focus on the positive, and have made a choice to smile because they're able. Okay? So, I encourage you today, find your reason. Find your reason to pursue happiness and to smile. You deserve that and you're worthy of it. All right? Very good. That's it. Now, go about your business, okay? Have the most amazing day. But even if you can't have a good one, don't you dare go messing up nobody else's here. I love y'all. Talk to you later. Bye. Dr. Pratice Berry, and I want to tell you a story. It is the most difficult story for me to tell. Um, but I know this. Uh, when you tell a story out loud, it sets somebody free. Usually the listener, always the teller. When I was starting out in my work, um, I made really good money, but I traveled all the time. I was never home. I was not home long enough to do anything, um, which is why I made good money, because I traveled so much, stayed on the road working. So I hired someone at the recommendation of a friend, and um, he was in charge of my finances and my bills and what have you. Um, probably four or five years into this, things started to go south and I didn't know why because I was making even more money and I discovered that he was stealing. So I paid my student loans off twice I paid because I had literally worked hard to pay everything off and I just wasn't going to do anything until I paid off everything, uh, which was student loans. I didn't have a whole lot. Um, I had some other things. Anyway, um, I paid everything off twice. Never filed bankruptcy. Just went on about my business. Um, then I found out that he had falsified some tax returns and stolen those as well. And the IRS actually prosecuted him and put him in jail. Um, when he came out, they asked if I wanted to put a lien on him for life to um, kind of until he paid me back. And I said no, because I thought, uh, well, if he's done his time and he's done what he's supposed to do, then who am I to not forgive? I didn't have to file bankruptcy. I didn't have to. Um, I mean, I had to work harder. I had to pay everything off twice. I had the burden of the shame and the guilt. But no, I'll forgive this. And then 10 years later, which was not that long ago, they came back and they wanted everything he stole plus interest for 10 years. And it literally wiped out everything I had. 
And I kept thinking forgiveness shouldn't cost this much. I'm still paying because it was so much. Forgiveness shouldn't cost this much. But I've still never been bankrupt. I still work hard. I'm still very fortunate and very blessed. And my life is full of love and joy and peace and harmony. But I have to pay what someone else stole. I fought it. But there was no way out of it. I don't want to hear any suggestions of what I should do. I've been there. I've come to see that forgoing the need for revenge and restitution is a very heavy burden. But it's only heavy when the person that you're bearing the burden for doesn't try some way to make amends. We're in this state of living right now we're sorry is not what we need to hear. We need to take responsibility for the system, for the taking, for the entitlement that what you have is what you deserve and you deserve it more than someone else. The fact that I've done well in spite of shouldn't be my reward. The reward should be seeing others stand up and say, let's all work together to pay back what was taken. Because a society that's lopsided because someone else was taken from in spite of how strong they look or how amazing they are. It's not a healthy world. I feel so much better saying it. And really there is nothing to be ashamed of because I didn't do it. I've never stolen anything and I never would. but we all have something that we need to be forgiven for. And I think that as we forgive, we'll be forgiven. I love you babies. We're gonna get there and we're gonna get there together. everything to me and I worship you even if it wasn't free I'd worship you because of who you are I give you glory because
Yes. My prince of peace. And I worship. 
because of who you are. 